Each Sunday night, I'd watch the practice with none of my friends. I'd turn the dial to ABC to see the creep of the week that Bobby Donald defends. But I'm out of practice. your hosts, Keith Barney. And I'm adding the end now. More professional. So I miss the practice There was no TiVo What could I do? Wait 15 years, get fat Then stream it on Hulu I'm almost cleanly shaven today Because of a beard mishap A little more pepper and a little less salt. I was wondering. (laughs) And welcome to the Out of Practice Podcast, a weekly podcast in which me, the mistakenly clean-shaven guy and the slightly less geriatric Mike and Daglio <laughs> discuss the David E. Kelly's award-winning series, The Practice. This week, we are up to Season 7, Episode 3 of The I Sing. Sing me the tale of your dark, dark hair. Look at this. I feel like we have 30s in Daglio now. Yeah. Uh, so, back in the day when I would shave, I would look 15. And now when I shave, I look 30. So right. I had a, a couple of auditions and self-tapes and things happening. Um, Please, sir, I think the ship is sinking. Yeah, and <laughs> I, uh, I I watched him back and said, yeah, yeah, no. I have to uh, I have to attend the tale of Sweeney Todd. So I, 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 I bought a box of my stuff, and I, uh, you know, I made it happen. It looks good. I mean, they honestly do a pretty good job of, like, mixing in like blending a little bit so it's not mm. quite so like shoe polishy. It looks good. Yeah, well done. It does, you know, it'll it'll pass for the I mean, the, you know, as we've mentioned on the show before, I won't belabor the point. Self-tapes are a, just a, a an exercise in masochism anyway. They really are. Uh so and what sucks for me, like usually when I have to do Jen's tapes too because she's not a technological person, so uh editing those is fun cuz I'm like, "Oh, she's so talented. She sounds great." And I really get into it. And when I, then I'm editing mine, I just like as bare bones as I can do it, I was like, let's just get it done because I, I can't look at myself. No, it, it really is like a an art form designed to create self-hatred in actors. It's <laughs> uh it's tough. I mean, because you know, Jillian does them constantly. Uh like this this morning, like she, she because she, you know, of, of uh, circumstances, she had to get up this morning and finish her self-tape at 6 a.m. to get it in by the 9 a.m. deadline. Like, so she's She's up there like belting her face off doing this audition at 6 a.m. this morning. It's like, because that's what you got to do. That's the, mm-hmm. uh, you know, 9 a.m. deadline for this enormous there's audition. Like, there's only so many like lighting setups and things you can try, but like you always are sweating, you're too hot, or then you start like, obsessing about how you look. And and, and I course. give myself like four takes and that's it, because otherwise you're just going to go down a rabbit hole of depression. <laughs> it never no, ends it- well. No, it really does. It's hard. It is like psychologically very difficult to do. But that. I want to say there is a show. Uh, you know, we're weird and superstitious. We don't say things that were in the sure. 
Well, this isn't even a callback. This is just a submission, but this particular one. But mm-hmm. I did use a Keith Varney original. Did you audition. really? Yeah. What did for you like, think? For contemporary pop rock, I always do the opening of I Got Fired. I, I, I just think it's funny. I think it uh, lets you belt a little bit, and it's 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 good. Well, I, that's see, it's perfect because uh, This Day in the Basement is going to start to dovetail with that little uh, little piece of theater history. So uh, Can't wait. That is exciting. I've somehow made uh, I've made us disappear. I don't know, like my my Skype got minimized. Oh, there I am. Oh, oh hi, oh hi, um, me. Why podcast if you can't stare at yourself while you're doing it? I mean, really, that the only reason I I podcast is so I can stare at myself for two and a half hours and then have the option to listen to myself for two and a half hours all over again. Uh, you know, because uh, we're weird. So listen, but, before we get, you know. speaking of staring at ourselves, before we get into the hot cat content, which I spoiled a few minutes ago by having the, the logo up, can mm-hmm. you tell us of the beard mishap? Because I we we both are uh, five o'clock in ourselves here. They, yeah, they, no. They well, it, you know, it's one of those things where, because uh, I have one of like the electric trimmer dealies and it's got the little head attachment you put on it. And uh, so... I just, you know, I set it to my usual thing and started started shaving, realizing I had the head attachment on backwards. So mm. instead of taking <laughs> off a little bit, it was taking <laughs> off everything and leaving a little bit. And I was like halfway done. I'm like, is there any way to rescue this? And I'm like, nope, no. no. You you can you can make it shorter. You can't make it longer. So here we are, chubby cheeks. Although before I say uh, before I start talking about my chubby cheeks and jowls, uh, friend of the show, my mother definitely was like you fat shame yourself too much on the podcast so and she's right she's 100 percent right yeah, but that's and, sort of uh, like your brand well my brand is self-shaming in yes. all possible categories but uh you know that that one is probably one i should get away from because it is not unique to myself because i certainly would never want to shame anybody else uh myself i can i can go for myself all day long but uh seriously it's not a thing to be shaming uh we are who we are and uh, we uh, we carry around, sometimes literally, what we carry around. So uh, there it is. I will just shame myself for all of the things that are specific to myself, such as my narcissism and such. All right. Anyway, so let's hop into. <laughs> I'm having a I'm having a weird morning already. I, just I don't even know to let you go there, buddy. I don't I don't know what's happening. I I was in a good mood. I don't know what happened. Uh, You're so... in a good mood now. I'm, of course, I'm in a good mood. I'm I'm podcasting with you, Mike. How could I not be in a good Ow. mood? The cat is biting the shit out of my feet. I feel like that's a perfect segue too. We have tried for years to make this podcast a success. We failed. It's time to give the world what it wants. Meow, meow. Hot cat content. Meow, meow. There it is. So as I was preparing for this day in the basement, as I am wont to do, because that is a segment on our podcast, uh, I went back into the old emails and I found, uh, actually from a friend of the show, my mom, she sent me some pictures from around the house that very day. And of course, uh, we will be, spoiler alert, talking about October 13th, the year 2002, when uh, the practice aired. But on this very day, she took this very picture. Let's see it. And that is Charlie Sr. 
Now, I know mm. you look at it like, that's Charlie Jr. It's not. That's Charlie Sr. You can tell the it, he has the same facial structure, same long hair, and even the same like little notch uh, on his nose over his left eye. The way you can tell Charlie Sr. and Charlie Jr. is Charlie Sr. has the black nose and Charlie Jr. has a pink one. Oh, what a cute! And he's got a little bit of the chunk style happening there. Oh yeah, no, he was a. Uh, uh, you know, we're not fat shaming today, Mike. We're cat shaming. Hey oh. <laughs> but uh, oh yeah, he was awesome. And what you can tell there, he is yowling about something. He uh, he had a lot to say. Charlie Senior had a lot more to say than Charlie Junior, who just sort of makes little sad meows when he's lonely. <laughs> so it's uh pretty. Cute. We had a nice morning with Charlie Jr. What's going on with your cats? Well, Keith, in my never-ending quest to spend every dollar I have on my cats, oh. uh, it's coming up to be time where... Uh, so, uh, those of you, those viewers and listeners with sensitive ears, uh, turn off the pod now, because I'm going to use some fresh language here. Oh, no. I've been calling Tuxy uh, Bob lately. Um, and Bob stands for, oh, that's interesting that the, the, the logo is such a weird place. It's not where it's supposed to be at all. Um, oh, anyway. God. Cat content's in a different place. It doesn't make any sense. It's not supposed to be there, Keith. That's the problem. God um, damn it. Anyway, uh, I've been calling <laughs> him Bob. The figure of for, a cat. Uh, I've been calling him Bob lately for big old balls because oh. my little guy here has a hefty set. Oh. And uh, he has less than a month before we remove them. Ah, uh, which is generally pretty breezy easy. However, the litter he came from, uh, from Jen's mom, had only two boys, and uh, his brother went in to get his uh, procedure about two weeks ago and died. Oh God! Right and from the anesthesia. Yeah, we don't know. It, it could have been a ton of things. Like here, the the way the vets have explained it is that the the neutering a male cat is less than a ten minute procedure. Like it is, yeah, it's incredibly nothing. easy. Um, and so it could have been a genetic reaction, could have been a heart condition that was bought, but could have been a lot of things, right? But because our vet is about as uh, obsessive as we are, she consulted with this vet down in North Carolina about the procedure. She's got a whole new protocol. She's going to do this. She's going to have two nurses on staff. Blah, blah. So our like generally wow. free to $100 neutering procedure has now turned into a full friggin' Like pre-op, post-op, blood test. This little kitten who I would, our other cats, I just dropped off at the ASPCA for free and then they come back neutered. But now it's a whole freaking uh, Grey's Anatomy situation with this cat. So uh, yeah, that's that's what's doing. We're just, I had a, we had a consult with the, (laughs) Jen's like, I had a consult. She sent me the voicemail. It was like 10 minutes long. Oh boy. But no, but that's, uh, yeah, that's, well, that's scary. I understand why you'd want to be extra careful. Uh, we had a problem when I uh, had towed uh, the the cat we've we've talked about previously on the uh, on the show. When uh, when he got his snipped, um, he had an infection, and I caught it and took him right back to the vet, and he was he was fine. But that that got a little scary too uh, from it. So luckily, uh, Junior came to us um, clean. Mm. He came he came to us uh, deballed already. So. <laughs> Uh, as they say, that's a very official term. As right, yeah, the de- deballing of the cat. Uh, so, well, I'm sure everyone here is wishing Tux 
Bob the uh, the very best, and I'm sure he will be fine. And uh, I mean, he might not be thrilled about the situation downstairs yeah, when he's done there, but you know, gonna, it's gonna be all right. He won't even know. That's that's the fun thing. He'll just be a little calmer. No problem. All right. Well, we have a lot to talk about again this week. We've we have a uh, you know sometimes. We make fun of the fact that we are not the better podcast uh, because we throw out a whole bunch of questions into the ether uh, and have and have no answers to. And it's and it's not as if there are there aren't answers to our questions. We are just too lazy uh, to go forth and answer them. But happily, happily, our friends and family who listen to our little show are ready to fill the void and step up including founding sponsor Jorge Novoa, who has two exciting contributions to the podcast today, starting with, oh, you know what? I, I didn't even give the bumper. So starting with the segment we call Filings and Subpoenas. Filings and Subpoenas. Filings and Subpoenas. Filings and Subpoenas. You know... You know, Jorge, uh, a week or two ago, I can't remember when he wrote in, but he was like, he he he, he said that he'd been bu- he's been busy. Uh, also, founding sponsor Phoenix. Everybody's been busy, guys. We get it. You're busy. It's yeah, we get it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the Just numbers. Just because we're not doesn't mean yeah. that you aren't. Uh, but in almost to as a as a as a mea culpa, Jorge has gone above and beyond this week. Has really had a lot to say. As has Phoenix. Everybody's has weighed in, and uh, yeah, I can't wait to uh, get into it here. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty exciting. So, and uh, as is typical, I haven't read it yet, so I don't even know what he's gonna say. So, uh, here we I go. Read it. Let's hear because you know you're the better podcast host. But uh, here we go. Jorge says, "Hi, sirs. For several weeks now, you've asked two great questions. One of them being, why didn't Donald Young Dolan Frut use self defense in Lindsay's trial? Definitely." Right? Seeing as back in season three, Judge Hiller shut them down from doing the same in the case of Professor Pearson, I decided to do a little research to figure out how much was just a complication for drama's sake and how much was based on actual law. Oh my he, God, this is great. Here's he, what I found. You could, have, you could have summarized that much faster, Jorge, by saying, I decided to do your job. I decided and- to step in and do your job, you lazy nincompoops. Uh, he continues... The Massachusetts self-defense law states, a person has the right to defend themselves and others against danger only if all of the following are met. Let's tick these off. One, you must reasonably reasonably believe yours or others' safety is in immediate danger. You must avoid using force, gun, or knife when other options are available, such as attempting to retreat. And you may not use force, more force, than what is reasonably necessary, i.e. shooting your stalker repeatedly. (laughs) Also, in the event that deadly force is used, a defendant facing murder charges can use the self-defense only if the trespasser assailant is also armed with deadly weapon. With a deadly weapon, that makes so much sense. Such as your, well, he was a cannibal. That's true. I'm giving you a half point for that. 
Yeah, okay. Now, Massachusetts does have a castle doctrine, stand your ground law, which states the occupant of a dwelling charged with killing a trespasser in the dwelling does not have a duty to retreat before using force against them. Ooh, this gets muddy. And uh, he continues, hey, isn't that exactly what happened with Lindsay? Awesome. We've got her out. Case closed. Not so fast. That's putting the emphasis on the wrong syllable. Hmm. Read correct, read correctly. The occupant charged with killing a trespasser in the dwelling. There was no trespasser that night. O'Malley did not enter the home unlawfully. He knocked hmm. on the door. Lindsay opened the door without clasping the chain or even asking who it was. When she saw who it was, she made no attempt to shut it in his face and lock it. In fact, not only did he not break in, he didn't even enter. He stood before the threshold like a proper cannibal vampire. So, given that O'Malley didn't trespass, wasn't armed, didn't threaten her with immediate danger, and she, in turn, shot him three times without even attempting an alternative, the reason Lindsay's lawyers didn't claim self-defense was because Lindsay didn't meet a single criteria for self-defense. I would say that we could argue, I'm not saying that you would win, but you could argue that maybe reasonably two of those points were met. Uh, imminent danger and, you know, faced with the person she might have, it would be a stretch. But I think to his point, I think it was such a stretch that they felt they had a more reasonable chance with the other the other things well i mean i i don't know i think jorge is is dead on here i oh, like yeah. this is I this just is thought we had to contribute so i thought i'd argue against it <laughs> <laughs> uh, first off jorge fantastic yeah. work uh fantastically written and outlined and that is perfect and explains you know everything keith i'm uh, sorry to make this decision without yeah. consulting you or ceo jen but jorge yeah. You're getting a, a 5% kickback of all of the net profits of this week's episode for that work. <laughs> Enjoy 5% of zero. But <laughs> actually, you know what? Take out some of your contributions. Take out 5% of one quarter of your <laughs> contributions this week, this month. <laughs> well, I mean, I think the only one that there's even an argument is her reasonably reasonably believing that her or other safety was an immediate danger. I think she could meet that threshold. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, I think With that baby, that is they really should have hung on the baby more. So they certainly could have done that. You know, using more force when options are uh, other options are available, such as attempting retreat, she she certainly could have retreated back into the apartment, locked another door. Um, you know, there were there were two Adults versus one, so a physical confrontation. He wasn't armed, you know. Using a using a gun in that situation does seem like you know the most extreme option, and you know, end in the more force than is reasonably necessary. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's Jorge. I finally understand, and I wish. Here's here's the thing. I wish. What I would like to do. Yeah, have uh, a have a have a conference scene where they talk about other stupid stuff, or they have an argument that's unnecessary, and just give me that exposition. Yes, well, and that's and that's why I would like to propose. Let us uh, somebody out there build a time machine, and I would like to appoint Jorge as a staff writer 
on season seven of the practice who could end the end of season six that could have uh made sure that this was explained to us as clearly and succinctly as he just did in that filing all right fantastic thank you jorge that was awesome now if somebody else would like to let us know they've built that time machine or would like to you know tithe five percent of their earnings to jorge for that explanation how would they do it mike well, if you're on the YouTube, you could cast your gaze below or just listen up. You can write us an email, outofpracticepodcast at gmail.com. People have written emails. People have sent audio files. People have crafted entire sub photoshops to be aired. Photoshops. We used to have this guy who would like uh, pretend to like my weather segment. It was great. Uh, <laughs> it has fallen off a cliff because Keith and I are pumping out hours of content fast and furious and no human being can possibly keep up. But if you'd like to, please do. Even if you're in the past and we're in the future, write us an email, guys. We're lonely old guys. Clearly. Out of practice podcast at gmail.com. You can also check us out on evil Facebook at out of practice podcast. Or you know what? Do the world a favor and just delete your account and hit us up on the Instagram, also owned by Facebook. So uh, uh, I guess Whoa. equally, equally. But look, boy, Mike's look. coming for Facebook today. You watch a documentary? Uh, you know, I, I did some reading, Keith. All right, <laughs> I did some reading. <laughs> Guys, Mike reads. Mike is a reader. <laughs> if you didn't know. All right. Um, <laughs> Anyway, our social media is at Out of Practice Podcast. Uh, leave us a rating or a review if you like the podcast. If you if you're if you're con- even if you're concerned with why you le- enjoy our banter, which some As people are confused. Be. Yeah, you know what? It's okay. Uh, just talk to your therapist about it. But while you're doing that, leave us a rating or review on any of your podcast services of choice. And while you're at that, mm. check out our look at my Star Trek toys show on youtube kme entertainment it's just a youtube show we are moving and shaking in that department too and guess what even if you don't even watch the star trek just like me you can still have a good time playing with toys we're chitting and chatting it's a it's a it's a hell of a good time and i i just might have uh bought an entire estates collection of uh star trek toys at a price i did not tell my wife about so (laughs) keith's in deep I'm in so deep. I All can't, right, I can't divulge things on this podcast because my wife listens. But uh, that's true. <laughs> that's true. We can ner- safest, air your laundry. The safest way for me to uh, <laughs> divulge this information from my wife is this podcast. All right. Well, you know what? We have another contribution from our good friend Jorge, and it is a uh, a contribution for our recurring segment, the very important. Back in time. It's been so long. Yes. So Jorge is going to help answer question number two that we have asked. <clears throat> in late August 1972. Special agents in Tennessee were searching for a moonshine distillery when they discovered 115 pounds of marijuana hanging inside a barn. A short time later, still keeping the area under surveillance, they spotted three men going in the barn. The men were caught taking small amounts of weed and eventually were arrested. During their individual interrogations, none of them answered any of the agents' questions, not even to plead innocence. 
Subsequently, they were charged with possession and intent to sell. During their trial, however, all three men testified in their own defenses, each claiming they were only hanging out in the secluded area, then happened upon the weed. Cut to closing arguments, during which District Attorney General told the jury, the men were taken back to jail and were questioned. And at this point, something very significant happened. They don't want to make an explanation. They don't want to tell the officers that they were just innocent victims of bizarre circumstances as they present to you today. The jury agreed this did not seem like the actions of innocent people. And so they were convicted. The three men who were sentenced were sentenced to one year in the penitentiary. Case closed, justice served. Or was it? As you probably already know, more or less, almost 10 years earlier, Ernesto Miranda was arrested by the Phoenix PD accused of kidnapping and raping an 18-year-old, and following a two-hour interrogation, he confessed. But he was never told of his right to keep his garbagey, rapey mouth shut. That's right, Miranda warnings was named. The Miranda warning is named after a piece of shit who was rightfully arrested but wrongfully convicted. Which then begs the question, what is the point of having such a warning? Of being told you have a right to remain silent, the Fifth Amendment and the right to counsel, Sixth Amendment, if exercising those rights can be used against you? Well, thanks to these three men in the original case, it can't. They filed an appeal, Braden versus the state, and argued that very point. And in 1976, the appeals court agreed, ruling, a prosecutor may not comment upon the defendant's failure to make a statement to the police because this would punish the defendant for exercising his or her constitutional right to remain silent. That's the ruling in Brighton v. State. Effectively answering your second question from last week's episode. Why is it such a big deal that ADA Walsh brought up Lindsay lawyering up right after the murder? Because we have case laws telling us they can't. P.S. To my delight, they also state it is improper. 1. To refer to the defendant as a rabid dog or any other derogatory names in State v. Baines. For a prosecutor to comment unfavorably upon a defendant's pro se representation of himself or his case. Coker v. State. Interesting. To reflect unfavorably upon defense counsel or the trial tactics employed during the course of a state of a trial. State v. Paget. That happens every That's damn every episode. episode. To make biblical and scriptural references during the prosecutor's closing argument. State v. Middlebricks. Brooks. Smart. Lastly, State v. Stevenson made it improper to, one, refer to the Lord's Prayer. Refer to the defendant as the evil one. Call into action the need to combat and destroy the evil one. Wow. Jorge. I have learned so much. That is, yeah. once again, uh, a brilliant contribution, explains and improves previous episodes of the practice that we have seen. Now I get it. And you're and really I... blossoming. You know, you used to be very straight down the middle, and now you've added a bit of editorializing, and I really am here for it. We are 100% here for it. Oh, all right, so I double down on my, my can we please 
have Jorge go back in time and explain these things during the course of the episode because it would have made it make so much more sense. I would have, like, because not knowing these things, I'm like, this argument seems a little thin, seems a little weird. And, like, we'd not. It's because when we started, right, when we started this journey, the show Mm -hmm. was much more a legal drama. And it's really become more of a drama, right? The legal has started to, like, fade away. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's basically become criminal minds. Uh, But nonetheless, uh, that is fantastic. That makes so much sense. Now I understand where they were coming from. I just wish they had clued in the dum-dums watching the show so that we understood that what you were doing was perfectly legit and interesting. Uh, but uh, it's uh, for too much My of a dum-dum. My guess is show, make, the judge making you show your penis or stand in the dunce corner is probably on that list somewhere. Probably, I would imagine. Yes, yeah. Yeah, so this list does not uh, lend us to believe it would be proper to show penises in the courtroom. Uh Multiple, because we have we have seen over the over the course of this series, uh, multiple penai. I spy in the with my little eye some very long and identifiable penai. Congratulations! <laughs> that should have been the song for the musical. That could have been the uh, that, that could have been the finale of your musical from last week. All right, well. Before we make the finale of this podcast, because we are running so freaking long, it is time to hop back into the time machine and talk about the aforementioned date, October 13th, the year 2002, and answer the eternal question, Mike, what was going on? This day in the basement. Keith, well, you'll recall I've traveled back in time myself. You have, uh, yeah. As I skipped a year of my life. Uh, thank God for Kelly Clarkson and a moment like this, which made me realize the <laughs> error of my ways. So you were, in the, you were in the wrong moment. Yes, a moment like that because mm. I'd, <laughs> mm-hmm. I'd skipped it entirely. So October thirteenth, uh, the fall in New York City is always wonderful. What I recall about that Harlem apartment, which was epic and wonderful and huge, and I wish mm-hmm. I could have one. Was and this was uh, many of my apartments in New York was that they either uh, almost exclusively every apartment, um, except for the last one in Queens, specifically this Harlem one, either uh, this was the first time I had gas heat. They ran gas heat in. Mm. Uh, And it was ridiculously expensive. I don't know if it was like the the unit in the basement was was broken, probably, or just natural gas in Brooklyn in the early aughts was expensive. So you were paying for heat in the apartment. Well, Keith, we were at that time. Because usually heat and hot water are included in New York. Well, usually the hot water is the heat. That's why. Uh, You see, this is gas heat. Anyway, point being, we weren't paying for it because we was broke. Gas heat. You got (laughs) gas heat. Well, thanks for joining us for another story (laughs) out of practice podcast. If you'd like to join... um, We weren't paying the gas heat because we turned that shit to zero. And mm. uh, them be cold, cold falls and winters. We just started wearing sweaters, earmuffs, uh, jackets inside our apartment because it was cold. But that's not the story I want to tell today. The story I want to tell today is one of my favorite memories from that apartment in Harlem, New York. Was this neighbor? I think he lived in the building. 
Hard to say because Possibly. he never left the stoop of the building. Uh, uh, some may say he was selling drugs. Some may say he was on drugs. Some may say. But he was always there and super friendly to us. Uh, he felt like a bodyguard because, you know, sometimes you see people who may be bad guys, but you're like, at least he's on my team. I was no, happy totally. to I was happy to live in the building with him. Uh, and I don't know his name. All I can tell you is that his name, we called him Chillin' because his response to every question or comment you made to him, at him, or in his general direction was Chillin'. You'd be like, hey, man, what's up? <laughs> chillin'. Hey, dude, cold out, right? Chillin'. Uh, why were the cops here yesterday? Chillin'. That's all he said. <laughs> and so we just, he's gone down in my New York lore as Chillin'. He will be a character in a play at some point from somebody. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, but well, you have uh, to write is, that play. This is a shout out to Chillin on 127th and St. Nick. Keith, Boy, talk to me this day. In the uh, that's basement. that's better than the than the stoop pooper that Jillian dealt with a lot of times, because uh, somebody would uh, would poop on her stoop every night. Every night, so, uh, yeah, pretty much like a human being would poop on her stoop every night. Creatures so, a habit. Yeah, yeah, stoop pooper. All right, well, so I. Uh, have a very interesting, at least to me, <laughs> it's autobiographically interesting to me. Yeah, you're listening uh, to our podcast, so buckle up. Yeah, a uh, story about, because this week, I began, I finished up my temp job at uh, WebMD, which was the, the first job I had in New York City. I signed up with a temp agency, that's where they sent me out. I did nothing for two weeks, it was uh, whatever. And uh, so, I went to my second temp job. And this was at the NYU School of Medicine. And this job, I was started basically as like the office monkey. I was like, you know, delivering mail and like making deliveries all over the city and doing scut work or whatever. But guess what? I ended up staying at this job for the next six years, uh, cutting out the temp agency and, uh, you know, becoming a big part of this office. And the office was the the CME office, and that is a continuing medical education office, which means we set up, uh, <laughs> did set up, I don't, I don't work there anymore, <laughs> spoiler alert, uh, from your song, uh, I, uh, we set up medical conferences for continuing education. So if you're a doctor, you have to like get X amount of credits uh, from going to conferences to get updated protocols on blah, 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 and all the various courses. And what we did, we were sort of like a meeting planning and accreditation event. So we handled accrediting the meetings, uh, thus like proving that they were actually academically relevant and free from uh, commercial bias because all the drug companies really wanted to uh, give a lot of money and, you know, get their boner pills sold at the meeting. And, uh, so anyway, so I, I started there, and my boss, Kathy Granger, she would not be sad to, I, I think she, she'd be very proud to be on a podcast. No, she wouldn't. She wouldn't care. Uh, we became close friends uh, over that course of uh, years, and uh, it was uh, something that kept me alive in the city for a long time, and Kathy helped turn me into a, from a, a shy, polite little, you know, Vermont boy to a tough-ass New Yorker. What demo is this? Is this you? Uh, no, this is just an accompaniment track that somebody made for me at some point. Wait, you had somebody make you an accompaniment track? You didn't ask me? 
Uh, I think I needed somebody to transpose it on the fly or something. I can't recall. This is old, but I just happened to have it, so I use it. It's pretty accurate, though. It's a step up, I think. Pretty close. Yeah, wh whoever did that did a good job. Uh, it's my buddy Wes, I think. Oh, all right. Well, Wes, good job. I I have heard uh, I have heard various compositions of mine. Oh, so have I. Keith. So have I. So have I. I've been a part my... of many of them. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! I I have a, the the song from that show, Kathy's Office Down the Hall, which is I guess my my quote-unquote hit, uh, that's all over YouTube, and Lord Almighty does that get butchered. <laughs> uh, anyway, so I was I was starting at NYU, and I think the, uh, the other sort of interesting to anybody but me part of this was, uh, this was October of 2002 at the NYU Medical Center, and our office was on 30th Street between uh, First Ave and uh, the FDR Highway. And that was also where the uh, the morgue was. And this, so that entire street, when I, when I started there, the street had just been partially reopened because it had been closed um, and have a huge tent complex there to serve as a, uh, to serve as the 9-11 morgue. And so all of the bodies were brought to exactly that place. Um, and uh, so it was, you know, when I walked down there, I had to show ID just to walk down the street. And there was, you know, all of the, you know, the t temporary permanent tents set up to do that. And so it was, it was pretty eye-opening um, because they had to set up, basically take a whole city block as a, as a semi-permanent place to to deal with that, and of course, at that point, they were still finding remains. Um, you know, it was, it, they found remains for years, so it was it was it was a little like intense at that point because security was so tight. And here I was, just like a temp, just trying to like bring a poster over to somebody else. Um, but uh, yeah, so there was the beginning of a six-year journey. You know, the, it, it's um. Sorry to to hijack this, but it's it's funny to me. Like twice in our life, I remember moments that you know, it, I, I not the morgue so much, but the going ground zero basically was a morgue in in many ways. Yeah. And seeing that felt like <clears throat> it was overwhelming at times. But you know, just recently, last year, I remember I mean, Jen and I would go and and run uh, <clears throat> with masks on and I make sure I avoided everybody. And I remember I had a, I had a eight miler to run. And so I'm running into Elmhurst mm -hmm. and from, from Astoria. And I remember next to the hospital, there were all these like, uh, refrigerated trucks, which they oh, were using as like, COVID. extended COVID morgues. Sure. So it's, it's funny, uh, not funny, funny is complete wrong word, but it's, uh, notable yep. that that is something that can, can help a human being conceptualize, the enormity of the situation. Yeah. 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 It is sometimes the peripheral things like that. Uh, well, anyway, so as, as Mike, uh, already pointed out that job, uh, led to a musical. We will talk more about that as we move forward, but now it is a hundred percent time to move forward to zoom out and take a look at the world of October 13th, 2002 in a segment we call 
It's time for the Out of Practice Podcasts This Day in the World. The greatest hits, the biggest movies, headlines from Vermont, essential sports updates, and for some inexplicable reason, the weather from 20 years ago. Now back to Keith and Mike. Okay, well, we are listening once again to Dilemma with Nellie and Kelly Rowland, who recovered the first place on the charts from a moment like this, because a moment like this could only be there for a moment. It was ephemeral, as all moments are. Yeah, they are. The top movie continued to be Red Dragon, which took in $17 million in its second week of domination. And uh, and reading this actually reminded me, uh, this was less than a month, or like a month and two days after... No, that's not true. It was a year and a month and two days. But there, in the Burnley Free Press, there was a huge uh, terrorist attack in Bali that uh, killed more than 130 people. Probably more than that, but that's how much they knew on the 13th. Um, so we were still very much uh, in that pretty scary world at the time. But uh, you know what's not scary? But what, what is, is inspiring and... Uh, and motivational and exciting and thrilling for all of our listeners. Mm-hmm. It's a segment we call. Uh, it's, time, it's, time, time. it's time. It's time for sports. sports. The New York football giants lost a game to Doug Johnson and the Falcons 17 to 10 at home, dropping the team to three and three. Former Giants and Broncos head coach and major character in Elway the Musical, Dan Reeves, was the head coach for Atlanta. The Eagles were on a bye, but Shannon Sharp caught 12 balls for 214 yards and two TDs for the Broncos. All right. Yeah, yeah, Shannon Sharp. Whew, what a day. What a day. Now he's uh, just bloviating on the, uh, you know, the thing. Yeah, he's, but he's still entertaining. He was always entertaining. Gotta say that. And, uh, you know, we should keep talking about nonsense, I'm but... Oh, being. no! God damn it! My life has value, and I'm not gonna take this anymore! It's time to talk about the damn episode! Oh, mercifully. Here we are talking about The Practice Season 7, Episode 3 of The I Sing. Which was, and we we have a complicated writer breakdown, as a story and teleplay by David E. Kelly, but a story credit was also given to Jonathan Shapiro. Hmm. And it was directed by Michael Zinberg, who last directed Pro Se, uh, which also, because we we, we learned some rules about the Pro Se. In that case, you couldn't have, uh, the opposing lawyer could not have uh, shit on Gus Fring's lawyering about himself so we just learned that that's very important now now that we have that information there's a really important question uh, we need to ask i gotta hit the button right <laughs> what is that supposed to mean what's your problem is this what happens to women when you insert your penis what what, what does mike think's gonna happen you know, what if he would have drank the curdled milk? Then what would have happened? Mm. Keith? We have done everything to get Lindsay this new trial. Okay. Yes. And we have learned through research, very detailed research, that we did all on our own, mm-hmm. that 
self-defense isn't going to work. And That's right. our previous trial... <laughs> we did the research? Who did yeah, the research? Yeah, very much ourselves. All by yeah. ourselves. We yeah, did. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> with no help from anyone. In fact, that segment that I uh, invented back in Time True Crime, I do mm-hmm. all of the writing for it. Oh, I, yes. Uh, <laughs> we don't read word for word someone else's work. Yes, That's not you know, what we do. <laughs> some people do it in, the, in an expected way, but you do it, Jorge. You and now... do it for her. <laughs> <laughs> Written this, apologies the, will be in the, your email this week, Jorge. The stupidity of that is hitting me in waves. Um... <laughs> it's, it's layered <laughs> and it's stupidity. <laughs> it's like a cat fart. You think it's over, but it just keeps coming back to just assault you again. <laughs> So what I'm getting at here is that <laughs> is that it's like uh, a cat fart. Is that it's true? Unfortunately, though. we're not going to be saved by good writing. We're going to get a Deus Machina, and Keith, I've mentioned it before. And your two shot from this week is informing me yet again. I'll pull it up here for our friends. It's telling me that after one too many, our DA is going mm. to keep spouting off about how bad he wants to screw the firm and yeah. and put Lindsay away, that he's going to let squeak, Keith, a couple of secrets, all right, that mm. could be used covertly against them. Now, Helen is uh, of questionable scruples, mm-hmm. so she's decided she's got to play it close to the vest. However, Keith, in the jumpy, sharky moment, the DA yeah, is going to go... I was- where are you going to bring in the sexy shark? Is going to go back to the old well of, of tropes, and he's going to make the DA Schmitchevich get all sexy hitting on Helen, and he's going to make some uncomfortable sexy passes, and Helen's going to be so pissed and offended that she mm. decides to secretly go to the firm and aid the defense of Lindsay Dole incognito as a under the under the table uh, dressed a, as a, a shark. mole, if you will. A shark. A, a mole shark. A mole shark. A mole on the ass of the shark that is the <laughs> DA's office. <laughs> and so we're going to get sex. We're going to get mm-hmm. drunken Schmitchevich. We're going to get covert meetings with, with Helen and the firm, like in that in that garage where wh- her buddy got gunned down. <laughs> <laughs> and, they're, uh, they're, wait, wait. So they're going to break in to... His garage, because that was his private garage, and no, they're gonna. Was it? That was like the parking garage. Oh, he was gun. Oh, that's right. He yeah. had well, because he had a gun held to his head and threatened in his garage. Yeah, I'm talking about his actual. And then demise. he got killed in the parking mm-hmm. garage. Okay. So this is my. This is what I think is going to happen. Or at least, maybe not all this episode, but it's going to start here. Okay. Well. Uh, whew, on that mole riding the shark's ass. It is now your time to <laughs> hop over to your podcasting service of choice or stay on it. If you didn't watch the YouTubes, I mean, you're missing my clean-shaven face, let's face mm-hmm. it. Yep. Uh, but it's time to hop over to, to your podcasting service of choice and listen to us listen to of the I Sing. We'll see you back for the After Show Show. Season 7, Episode 3 of the I Sing. Hmm. We did sing a little bit. Mm-hmm. Bobby's a visitor. 
in prison and he's nervous. He's so nervous. Conjugal baby. Let's just I'm get a new trial. I'm good. And you? I'm fine. He doesn't look fine. She looks remarkably fine for being in prison. I was last hold out, but I was finally one over. It's a really good makeup job. We should try to plead. Wow. Voluntary manslaughter. There's just too much evidence. Your threat that you'd shoot him hours before. Keith, in he my time, I've had to do some I love you, honey's butt. Your testimony. <laughs> this is the worst. Trial, it's too much. We'll lose. It'll likely be eight years. Shit. Good behavior. You'll be out in three. Woo. The alternative is life. We just can't risk that. Yikes. Has the prosecution agreed to it? We plan to take it to them in the morning. They should go along. Three years in prison? It's the best result. Is it? I wish there were another way. Great performance from Kelly here, as always. She's been crying for like six episodes straight. Okay. So, they've agreed to plead to plead out. Well, when you consider they got a, they couldn't they couldn't win on the merits of, of of battered woman or anything like that and it sounds legally like they really don't have a a defense self-defense mechanism, so maybe this is the prudent move. However, like you mentioned yesterday yesterday, last week Keith, it's bizarre to me because didn't uh, new lawyer come in and basically lay out an easy way to win? Maybe not easy. Well, she was arguing like, argue a side self-defense thing. And I guess because my question is like, can't you just argue the three elements of that as part of the trial? But I, I think what happens is that you have to you have to sort of reach the threshold with the judge first you before it, you can argue it. Then you argue these things the with priors. the... Uh, Lewd and lascivious. Sure. What do you Cop do? Musical continues TVs. with Jimmy and. It's a uh, dog. Look, if you name? don't want it. Oh no no no! I Jamie do Stringer. I do. Do you warm up, Mike? It's not much time to prepare. <clears throat> Just dump it best you can. It's a court appointment. Dump it best you can. Six dump it in the can. Right. Uh, ha- have you got the pleadings? Any pretrial motions, suppression hearings? Bobby met the guy at arraignment. A trial date was set. You're up to speed. Got it. First swing stringer. And nobody cares. He's making us wait on purpose. They're waiting in he's Smitty's office. Smitty's Haunts gonna lay in. He's, 50 minutes. Smitty's gonna say no more. to the plea. He wants, to, he wants to take I'm it down. I'm not sitting here all day, Bobby. He'll be here. Such as right now. Gentlemen. Oh, Eugene's contempt is palpable. I've uh, reviewed your plea offer. It's rejected. Holy shit, what? fuck you. 
Why? Oh, he's such a dirtball. Why? Because your wife committed first-degree murder. They really the only thing that would impel me to plead down to manslaughter would be a perceived difficulty of prevailing a trial. I don't have such a perception. I feel confident the jury will reach the right result as they did the first time. Accordingly, your offer is rejected. Anything else to discuss? I like this it was though, it's all set up, it makes sense. You know it was a manslaughter and you're an officer of the court. Thank you, Eugene. I always value outside input. Would you like to know the particular value I place on yours? Are you cocky, Kenneth? Maybe you need to review your track cricket Seems against a us. Cocky. Haven't got the time, but I'll tell you what. I'll go over the last matchup. You're going to take the stand again, Bobby? That went real well, didn't it? By the way, who's going to try it this time? Jimmy? Eugene, Eleanor was a good choice, wasn't she? Yo, dude. Have a good day, boys. Woo! He has feelings. He, as we, as we, the scene comes to a close. I'm, I'm going to. Uh, if you allow me a, a, a world res, a wrestling analogy. Mm. You know, back in the '80s specifically, the lines have blurred subsequent to that. But the when the business was in its kind of glory days, um. Nuance was not something that was particularly useful, right? Because oh, there's got a lot of to... nuance now, is what you're saying? Well, there's more time to tell a story now. Back in those mm. days, there wasn't as much television time, and so you, you basically had to introduce the good guy and the bad guy, tell a quick story, tell the audience who they should root for and who they should boo for, and, and go for it. Here, we've basically come back to those tactics, right? It's like there's, there's no more gray area with Smitty here. They're just like, he's the bad guy. We need to root against him so mm -hmm. we can have a huge triumphant victory with Lindsay getting out. Mm -hmm. And uh, here's the thing. I'm here for it. You oh, I'm I mean? totally like, here for it. The back and forth. I thought we had that moment on the good guy side with Rebecca, but since we have uh, relegated that to the uh, one episode wonder bin, I suppose we're going to have to uh, just root for anybody to just kick this guy's ass. I just want him to lose. Yeah, yeah. I think and Bob, not Bobby least needs to try it, to right? let or is that a conflict of, of, conflict of interest if Bobby tries it? Well, you think? Fuck it. Come on. Bobby! Now. We prepare to try it. Jimmy, you and Beck, I want research. See if there's any grounds to suppress Lindsay's testimony. How? I don't know. Go through the transcript, see if Walsh made any allusion up front to Lindsay not talking to the police. Maybe we can argue she was coerced into testifying by the DA. Bobby. It's worth a shot. Eleanor, the victim was seeing a shrink. Maybe he told the shrink he planned to kill Lindsay. Privilege doesn't survive the patient. I interviewed his therapist. It was a dead end. Well, subpoena his records. Maybe there's something in his notes. Bobby, the victim's state of mind isn't relevant. You're thinking like a loser. <whistles> I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. Look, Keith? obviously, whatever we come up with is going to be desperate. Eugene. I'm interviewing potential experts on post-traumatic stress. Hopefully, we can find somebody to label her insane. Good. Okay, we all have work to do. Let's go at it. Eleanor, can I talk to you a second? Actually, I think I better get going on this research. 
Yo, Rebecca just gave Bobby the I'm not angry at you. I I'm was pissing. I, pardon my Frenchiness, but that's what hey. I was doing. I, I'm glad I was His first line is I'm pissing and it's two time anywhere. Words didn't work. It's almost like he's not quite three. He's like two and a half. Spare I mean, tires. I don't know. I'm I'm four and a quarter. I feel like a man. Wait, no. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Mike can't wait to clip that out. <laughs> Splice it with Keith's penai talk earlier, and really have a have a have a go at it, folks. It's, it's John, John Cryer. Holy crap! It is two-time Emmy winner with five more nominations for Two and a Half Men. Of course, you might know him from Pretty in Pink or these days on Supergirl, or the famous Teddy Z back in the day. But of course, I know him from Superman 4. Hello, the quest for peace. Uh, certainly a big, giant actor. Very, uh, very excited to, ha- to have him here. And, uh, you know, this this is another one of those things. Like, I, I know his mom. Oh. His uh, his his mom Gretchen Cryer is a well-established performer and composer and writer uh, of her own accord, and Jillian has done several shows with her. And I did a reading in her house once. She got, she got a nice place. Well, while Mike uh, tries in vain to romance Keith's mom, uh, Keith is uh, trying to two-time his wife with John Cryer's mom, and uh, you heard it here first, folks. Uh, there's way more profit in it. I was pissing. I, pardon my Frenchiness, but that's what I was doing. I had a bladder infection. And you didn't use the restroom because... I couldn't get there fast enough. You know, I swear I was not flashing those girls. Though they totally wanted it. Jamie Stringer. We got a yes. Megan Paul case. I wasn't wanking. Yes. <clears throat> he was pulling Can the we talk? Sure. We do a lot of... Uh, Three months, we're happy. How about six months on the show? Can't. Third offense. With a conviction, he could get a year. Does he know that? He claims he's innocent. Yeah, I just heard. And his eloquence gives me pause. But I'm still holding out for it's time. It's Kate Burton back as the DA. And I think we have a trial. At home. You were supposed to dump it. What could I do? The client wanted his day in court. He's going to get his day in prison, Jamie. Lots of them. He says he's innocent. They all say they're innocent. Bobby's expecting you to be freed up to work on Lindsay's case. It should be a one-day trial. You were supposed to dump it. Yo, Lucy coming in with the uh, stern words. Yeah, she's the senior person now. I agree. Here drink. it is. Here's the case. Here's the, here's the it all. Mike, on, Ellen, what Mike thinks is gonna happen. All rides on this. Okay. Here it is. Let's discount my friendship. They're in a bar. Your hatred, and just objectively look at what Lindsay did. Looks like he's doing Jim Beam on the rocks. (laughs) Your opinion, not mine. Come on. Woman vows to kill somebody. Shoots an unarmed man after saying, see you in heaven. That's not a murder? I'm supposed to let her get away with this because she has a friend in her office. Nobody's saying she should get away with it. Did you read their brief to the SJC, I'm saying it. It wasn't about the law or the merits as much as it was an attack on me. In open court, they attacked me. Because prosecutorial misconduct was their best legal strategy, and you know that. You know what I know? 25 years ago, there could... 
I know it, I know, if you know what I mean. I've been a defense attorney on that stool drinking with me. And the, the day, 90s. we were friends. And you know why? We were all in it for the same thing. We were players in a justice system. Fair representation. Somewhere along the line, it changed. The goal for defense attorneys became to beat it. Beat the rap. Beat it! Beat it! Do you think I can just keep it up, Keith? <laughs> no, we can beat no, it. Now I've got 80s. Let me tell you something, Helen. Your next reference has to be like 70s, Donald, though. They've destroyed the criminal justice system. They hide the truth. They intimidate witnesses. They offer lies in court. And in the process, they've destroyed people like me. And that's why I hate them. In order to have half a chance at getting a conviction, I have to compete with the same dirty tactics. They've sapped us of any dignity, along with the courts, and I hate them for it. We no longer go to work at an honorable place, Helen. And you should hate them too. I mean, I like this character okay. a lot. Well, without disagreeing with all that, because he's and I don't. a bad guy, but he does have an My internal point logic. Is the facts of this case suggest manslaughter, not murder one. You didn't hear a thing I just said. Yes, I did, but you, you know why Lindsay pumped that guy with three bullets? <clears throat> For the same reason my dog licks his balls, because he can. She's gotten so many guys off. YMCA. <laughs> Not sure how that relates, but that was from the 70s. It was like kind of like a ball licking reference that I have to cut out of the episode. You're 100% going to have to cut that. Enjoy enjoy the silence caused by a homophobic song. <laughs> One hour and like two minutes. <laughs> it was more just for you, but I didn't know how to get the joke to you. Oh, you better cut that. If you forget, man, you are done. No, it's on my list. <laughs> you might have to email me. There's just this is a reminder. Because <laughs> this whole conversation is taking place also. Okay, cutting back in. For crimes she knows they did, she figured she'd easily get herself off. She'd be able to beat it. And I saw the same well, that is how you do it. look on their faces in the courtroom, Helen. They can beat it. So we know they're not going to beat it. They may have the resources to swing that seven SOBs on the Supreme Court, but eventually it comes back to the jury, comes back to me, and I'm telling you, they're not going to beat it. Every time he says beat it, have a drink. He, he is. <laughs> How did you get like this? Last week, you lied to like a she should talk. and trick her into a confession. A false confession. There's a reason I'm hard to look at, Helen. You see yourself. Good scene. Great scene. Yeah, man. He's good written a little more three-dimensionally than I gave him credit for. Yeah. And he's giving such a good performance. Smitrovich is very, very good. Don't even know the actual character's name. Oh, Helen's doing some digging, Keith. Could she potentially be the mole on the shark's ass that I referenced? Mm. She's doing some legwork, I guess you could say. Uh, could, yeah, yeah. 
Well, you can tell by the way I move my walk. I'm a weird man. I'm a shot of town. Look at shit, 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 Staying alive, gonna do life for maybe three years. Now they're staying alive, staying alive. Ah, 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 Lindsay, staying alive, staying alive. Ah, 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 Lindsay, staying alive. I was waiting for you to do the harmony at any point, and he just watched me do that. Because <laughs> I was imagining clipping it out. I was, I was getting ready to make that my ringtone. Staying alive. Now. I, I was I was confused during the verse that perhaps Barry's tongue had been removed, but uh, he found it later. Well, that's what it sounds like when a cannibal is eating him. <laughs> After midnight. I'm just about to go home. All right. Bobby's sorry that he's snapped. His wife is uh, in federal prison. He did call her a loser, though. He did. Well, he said he was, she was thinking said, like a loser. About you thinking like a loser. He was blaming her for the whole thing. Oh, for sure. That, it's a That just came subject. out of frustration. You have to know I don't blame you. But I do. I blame myself, I do. I Bobby. Do. I definitely do blame you. Hmm. Come on. We, we win trials. We lose trials. We excel. We don't excel. Sometimes this was Lindsay. <coughs> Great use of silence. That I coughed through. Yeah, well done. Blew it. You don't have a cough button. I don't understand why I have I should have a cough button. Because that is the only thing that keeps us from being professionals. We were waiting see, for a bus, see Helen and then we looking like through papers again. Perv man, objection. Sustained. You saw the defendant? Yes. And what was he doing? First we saw him stare at us. Then we all kind of commented on it because we thought he was like a total creepo. This Am is I Jen allowed to Kelly? say that? Then what? Then about 30 seconds later, I turn around and he's got his fly down and he's holding out his big unit, offering it to us like it's a Krispy Kreme. It was totally gross. And could you see what he was doing with his... Uh... He was just kind of wagging it for us. <laughs> like we were dogs or something and we wanted to play fetch. It was totally foul. Thank you, wow. Dan. So, hold on. It must I, have been I, kind I, of I shocking to, look to up, see what you refer uh, this to actress. as the big unit. Yeah, it freaked us all out. And how far away I from you if John was Cryer's Mr. Agent standing? Said he, he had to be referred to as a big unit. Was it a busy street? Do you remember? Fairly busy. It was around Russia. Hold hour. on, stop doing Lots work for a second and pause because so I have an interesting I anecdote. Guess. Oh, okay, sorry. So, uh, so this actress here, she's only done two things. Uh, one of them is the practice, and the second one, she was herself as a contestant on Celebrity Jigs in in Reels, in which a seven celebrity contestants don their Irish dancing shoes in the name of charity. So I'm confused. Was was she a celebrity from having uh, from having done an episode of The Practice? Maybe she was like a professional clogger or something, and was on the show as like a a, a boost. I uh, I danced some. I danced. I dated somebody who was a uh, an Irish step dancer once. 
Keith, if you drop any more names, we're going to have to start a new podcast of Keith Knows So-and-So. That's what it's Yes, called. when I dated Michael Flatley. Yes. <laughs> he is the Lord of Romance. Mm. And were you and the girls interested in looking at him? Uh, hello? No. Well, how long did you look at him? A few seconds at most, I'm so sure. Well, we know she wasn't on the show, Keith, because she's a great actress. Uh-oh. Oh. Burn. Oh, no. Okay. Thanks, Dina. Thanks, Dina. We couldn't give you any more lines because, well... That she was being told to do that Valley Girl voice. Didn't bring that in herself. Donald Young, Dolphret, and Hatcher. What? Didn't you hear? Oh, oh no, partner? I'm sorry, sir. We can't do that today. <laughs> no, she's uh, just perhaps being... another time? She's Lucy. Okay, yeah, great. Thanks for your call. Who was that? Another wacko angry over the reversal. He asked if we could all shrivel up and die. We've been getting a lot Does of hate mail, too. People who think the conviction shouldn't have been overturned. Uh-oh. We got a fax. Folks, that's Hello. when paper used to come, what? like an email used to come for real. <laughs> In a hard copy. It's like yeah. if your email printed out the hard copy, and it could be like the spam. Who sent us? Like, would you like a Russian wife and it actually like prints out on Likely your computer? Folks, I want to just point out, uh, uh, I'm being serious now because I had to do this recently. I, yes, I had to send a fax. <clears throat> what? Um, it's a long story, but here's the point of the story. You all have your email. Me and Keith aren't, aren't, aren't joshing. Sending a fax is basically sending a hard copy email. Keith, do you know it is still 69 cents per page to send a fax? Well, yeah, which weirdly, I understand because like you're basically paying them to keep a fax machine in their store. Mm. Like, I don't want to keep a fax machine in my store. I don't want to have to explain to every grandma how to send a fax. Everybody needs help sending a yeah. fax. Nobody, Imagine everyone in this, is completely in this COVID confused. age where like, you don't want to touch people or have people touch your stuff. Like, yeah. uh, so go like, over to that old machine and, you know, touch every button if you could. Yeah, so, please. like, not only do you have to store a fax machine in your business, you have to teach someone how to use a fax machine every time it's used. I'm surprised it's only 69 cents. It should be $15. And Keith gets on a soapbox about anachronistic technology forward at the time of impact. Their witness testified the victim was likely stationary. Look, I've got the transcript. I underlined it. This isn't the same analyst who testified. I called the lab. It was a junior guy. It's obviously a preliminary report, and probably Walsh had them redo it. The point is, we never got it, and it's exculpatory. Eugene, talk so to this Mr. Hallberg. Eleanor, I want you to start preparing a Rule 30. Who sent us this? I don't know. Lucy found it in the facts. Wow. Okay. That is some big news. Let's see it again. Who sent us this? I had them redo it. The point uh -huh. is, we never got it, and it's exculpatory. Oh. Eugene, talk to this Mr. Hall. Should I explain Eleanor, it to Mike? I want you to start preparing a rule Mike 30. was doing something else, and he missed the most important part of the episode. But this? thankfully, he has a co-host who's going <laughs> to tell him what just happened. Mike has a job that demands more attention than Keith does when we record on a work day. When Keith's phone rings, he just silences it and moved on. <laughs> Somehow Mike found a salary position that pays him when he's doing the podcast. <laughs> so does Keith, but it's lower level. <laughs>
<laughs> there is a therapist who listens to the show and is like, oh, shit. <laughs> Uh, among many other professional help people. Uh, yeah, so what happened here was they just got an anonymous fax that says the crime scene, uh, the, the first report from the crime scene said that the, uh, the, the specialist said that the guy was moving towards Lindsay when she shot him. But when they testified in course, a, a court, a different specialist said he was not moving towards Lindsay and they and more importantly than that they never told them that the first report came saying that he was moving towards her and that is a violation of uh due process huh and okay. uh you know an anonymous fax huh i wonder huh I don't know. Is, is there a certain Mole dun, on a shark's ass dun, that could have done that? Dun, 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 dun. Who sent us this? I don't know. Lucy found it in the fax. It, it's just signed Schmelin. <laughs> Which, uh... Mr. Holborn? Mm hmm Hi, I'm Eugene Young. I represent Lindsay Dole. I believe you investigated the murder for which she was charged. Who told you that? I'm not sure why is it supposed to be This is James Keen. Young, I'm quite busy. If you'd like to make an appointment, I'd be happy to give you whatever information I can. I'm looking more for you to give me. Wait, was that a rich, was that document hidden? Like, was it obfuscated from the defense? Because that is a total get out of jail free card, possibly. Uh, that's what Keith just said. <laughs> This is the part of the show where Mike asks for clarification, but then has a realization as he <laughs> realizes it 10 minutes. Oh, guys. Wait, better... wait, wait, wait. Are they lawyers? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a better podcast would just edit that past two minutes out and just start over from that bit when nope. I got that email. But um, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm with you guys. I'm back. I'm back, guys. I promise. <laughs> promise it, it is a monday it is a monday at two o'clock of the middle of a work day and i'm trying to watch the practice here uh, to be fair you chose this time absolutely are we being cryptic now if it if you got to pick between your day job and football keith oh obviously yeah obviously this way you get paid for podcasting <laughs> is this your report where'd you get this the point is i have it did you write it yes Who'd you give it to? I'm afraid you'll have to make an appointment, Mr. Young. Did Kenneth Walsh get this report? I don't know. I'm very busy. Nah, you have to excuse me. That hmm. wasn't suspicious at all. I direct the court's attention to Rule 30 of the Massachusetts Criminal Law Code, which calls for a dismissal with prejudice of the indictment where there is egregious prosecutorial misconduct. There's been no misconduct. Miss Frud is simply- I direct the court's attention to Exhibit 1 attached to our motion. It's kitchen sink time. This isn't a kitchen sink, Mr. Walsh. It is an internal memorandum which says the victim was likely moving towards Lindsay Dole. First of all- Which does satisfy at least one of the preconditions that Jorge laid out for all of us in the pre-show. That's right. Oh, that memorandum right. is incorrect. Second, it's work product. It's exculpatory. It's part of our internal investigation. It's work product. We have many lab analysts. The report says 
The victim was likely moving forward. But that was not the final conclusion of our analysts. This is not a fifth grade math test. We don't have to show you our work. We have to give you our findings. That's our obligation under the rules, and that's what we did. Your Honor, we would like to conduct an evidentiary hearing. Of course you would. You'd like to drag this out into perpetuity, but the law does not allow- This was exculpatory. Now, it, oh, Jorge also said he's not really allowed to be so uh, condescending and degradating each time. We can be condescending. He just can't. Or just not specifically call them pigs or trash bags or something like that. Yes, and I believe, I, I may be wrong, but I also believe that only applies when the jury is present. Okay, so if he starts spouting you, the Our Father, the judge, it's all good. You can do Our Father, who art in heaven. <laughs> Tory evidence, I object to his smugness. He had a duty to turn it over to us. Not if it's work product. At a minimum, we are entitled to a hearing. Who do you want to question? The analyst who authored the report. You will be stunned to learn he isn't volunteering his candor. Of course not. He's probably worried you'll plan B him and accuse him of murder. All right. Hey! I'm going to let you question this analyst, but turn it into a circus and I'll shut it down. And we'll We're make going good to have TV a hearing? out of it. Yes, we are, Mr. Walsh. Would that be all right? Your Honor, since evidence will be presented, we'd like Miss Dole to be here. 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. Good for you, Eleanor. Yeah. Get her a day out of prison, too. That's important. Let's see how good of an actress Helen Gamble You gave is. them that report. Oh, shit. Why didn't you at least have the integrity to be upfront about it? Oh, the integrity? Is that your style? To be upfront? The reason I did it anonymously, I'm one of your lieutenants. Notwithstanding a few skirmishes, a pretty loyal lieutenant. What would become of your reputation, not to mention your credibility in the courtroom, if one of your minions betrayed you? This wasn't about attacking you. It was about giving defense a document they're entitled to have. It's about following the rules, Ken. So That's where I out, locate my intention. Said, "Yep, I in did it." This. Not, not a very moly move. Moly, moly, Before moly. you add me to a list of people that are out to get you, it's more of a shark move. When I started here, I wanted to be you. That's how much I admired you. I got your haircut and everything. He wasn't there when you started, though. Shh, quiet, you. You used to be a protagonist when Office Space was here. But at, then he at least left. a medium antagonist. They murdered my one friend. Office Space got a career, and you just <laughs> turned into a bad guy overnight. I have never seen a person demolish a hamburger at nine thirty in the morning. That's a hundred percent a slider. That's way too small to be hamburger. Now, for such a sexy show, hey. shouldn't she be eating less hamburger and How eating a little Bobby burger? Good. Ew. Pardon the onions. Hi, Ben. Okay, maybe that was crass, Hi. but you catch my drift. Thanks for coming, Eugene. I got a very big dick. You holding up? Yeah. Getting out even for a day. We ready? All set. Eugene's taking the witness. I'll argue after. You ready? Yes. 
I saw them standing there waiting for a bus or something. And what were you doing at the time? Uh, I was looking for a bookstore. I'm a voracious reader. You were looking for a bookstore? Yes, yes, and, uh, and then I noticed them. They were all smoking cigarettes. <laughs> it was disgusting. Cigarettes are a leading cause of cancer and death. To see young people killing themselves, I, I, I couldn't stand it. Did you have to go to the bathroom? No, 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 I exposed my swordsman because I had written on it, smoking causes death. You had that written on? Well, it's no secret, sex sells. I mean, advertisers use it all the time. I, did I just point figured out the best way to how, put my message across was to put many, it on my penis. You know, Jorge, here's a very important uh, piece of research for you. Uh, how many pet names uh, have we made up for, uh, you know, the Dangleberries? Throughout the the run of the show, because we we we've had Pud, we've had Swordsman, we've we've had uh, one eyed something something. I think uh, I think they made Toby do that, in like season two. Uh, I have a lot of questions because uh, I I think half of what the writers' room in the practice does is come up with uh, with pet names for uh, you know dicks. Swordsman. Swordsman. Thank you, Mister Pender. You told the police you were urinating. Well, I, I didn't want to tip my defense. I see. You were arrested twice before for exposing yourself, were you not, Mr. Pender? Yes, yes. Both examples of blaming the messenger. Oh, you had things written on your penis on those occasions? Yes, I did. Uh, the first time uh, I was protesting world hunger, and this. The fact that even penis arcs feel recycled is is not a great sign you know i was i was sit you, you you're, you're setting me up to play the bumper mm -hmm. uh but i have a time i'm gonna play it and it's not quite yet so just okay just just wait for it second one was during the election it said gore <laughs> i think the police mistook it for a verb you humiliated me. Hey, it's my life. I'm the one looking at jail here. Well, why didn't you tell me what you planned to say? I didn't know. I just decided to call an audible on the line. You know, the thought of you arguing that it was a bad traffic day didn't make me squiggle with confidence. You listen to me. I graduated high school in three years. I graduated Yale with honors. I made law review at Harvard. I excel at everything I do. I'm even pretty. I will not have you wreck my law career by making me look bad in court. I'm supposed to get up in court now and blame it on big tobacco, you suck. I'm not bringing you any more of my business. I'd like to point you out disagree in that for, for, for John Cryer here, he is less than one year from shooting the pilot of Two and a Half Men from his like giant career leap after uh after 16 candles you know i, I think superman 4 might have uh, finished him off for a few years and he's like 10 seconds from becoming yeah, he a the giant dick, he, star. he reads the dick script and he asks his agent he's like do i have to do this and she's like you have to do this yeah and to. then little does he know he's about to become a gazillionaire he's about to uh charlie sheen the money Apparently all the time, it's called debate. Yes, but your expert opinion was that Lawrence O'Malley was likely moving forward. That was my initial conclusion. Upon consultation with other analysts, I changed my position. He was likely stationary. Did you issue another report? No. 
In fact, the shark this enters. letter is your only recorded finding, isn't it, Mr. Hallbrenner? Yes. So when you changed your position, you didn't issue a new report. No, the case was taken over by my supervisor. Your supervisor? That would be Joshua Illich? Correct. So he took over the case, issued another report saying that the victim was likely stationary. Correct. And it was Mr. Illich who testified at trial. Correct. While they kept you in a back room out of sight. Objection. Sustained. Mr. Hallbrenner, after you issued your report, did anybody ask you to change your mind? People argue their points of view in order to get people to change their minds. That happened here. Nobody forced me. People argued their points of view. You, you mean other analysts? Correct. Did Mr. Walsh ever argue his point of view to you? Yes. So he read your report? Yes. And he disagreed with it? Yes. Did he ask you to alter your findings? He disagreed with my report. That wasn't my question, Mr. Hallbrenner. Did he ask you to alter your findings? Yes. Ooh. And your response? Eugene. I refused. And at that point, your supervisor took over the case and a subsequent report was issued contradicting your findings. Is that what happened, Mr. Hallbrenner? Something like that. Holy Thank you, shit. Mr. Hallbrenner. Yo, Mike called this weeks ago. <clears throat> Up, down, sideways. You said and sideways. I asked you to reissue a report. Did I force you to? No. And was I the only one who disagreed with your findings? No. Other analysts looked at the same evidence you did and reached a different conclusion. Am I right? You are. In fact, three analysts senior to you. Isn't that right? It is. More experienced analysts? Yes. In fact, the consensus like of your department years old. Why was is that he Mr. So O'Malley was likely standing in a stationary position at the time Lindsay Dole shot him three times. Wasn't that the consensus? Yes. Thank you, Mr. Hallbrenner. That's all I have. The witness uh, may step is down. Is your mouth tired from speaking Mr. Walsh, down on both sides? Mr. if you have anything to say, I'll hear it now. Then I'll give defense an opportunity to sum up as well. Thank you, Your Honor. As I said earlier, this was a preliminary internal memorandum, which clearly falls within the definition of work product. It wasn't evidence. Certainly, we are required to share with defense our findings, but not our thinking or consultations, which lead to those findings. Mr. Hallbrenner's report represents a minority point of view, which we deem neither accurate nor relevant to our prosecution. Yet it was, was not a finding, relied on, was a it was not a factor. Moreover, Your Honor, even should you find that we should have turned this preliminary report over, what's the harm? This case never turned on whether or not the victim was moving forward. Lindsay Dole never maintained the victim was coming towards her. In their testimony, in their Good statements point. to the police, Lindsay and Bobby Donnell never even suggested that the victim was coming towards her. They didn't argue self-defense. They alleged battered woman syndrome. The victim's position or forward movement has nothing to do with that defense, nor did they ever suggest it did. What we have here is a desperate ploy from a convicted murderer who finds herself all out of appeals. It's nonsense. It's an insult to this court, to our system of criminal justice, and your honor shouldn't indulge it further. Thank you. Okay. 
he always finds a, he's always well spoken. Oh, Eleanor. Eleanor's chance. <clears throat> she look at her. She looks so pissed. He had in his hands a report that is black and white prosecutorial misconduct. We were forced to defend our entire case without knowing the crime lab findings were in dispute as Man. to whether the victim was standing still. That dispute was kept from us. Nobody, nobody can make an argument that that wasn't relevant. Now, Mr. Walsh has the temerity to actually argue that the victim's forward movement or lack of it was a non-issue when all through the trial, he hammered it. He put up witnesses to say that Mr. O'Malley was stationary. In his closing, he said it over and over and over again. Look at the transcript. He was Good not moving point. towards her, never made a movement, standing still. He repeated it. He drove it home as the linchpin of his case, and he stands before you today as a bald-faced liar saying that it was a non-issue. Well, it wouldn't have been a non-issue to the jury. This man has systematically committed prejudicial misconduct in this case during discovery, during the trial, and it constitutes a gross and egregious violation of Rule 30, and we ask the court to dismiss this indictment with prejudice, or in the alternative, to strike the record of the first trial, the entire record, including all testimony. There's no authority for that. Our argument to the jury would have changed had we known the existence yes, of this Eleanor, report. Get a mulligan, Lindsay baby. Dole was prejudiced by Mr. Walsh's non-disclosure. That prejudice can only be cured by the court's expunging of the first trial in its entirety. Your Honor. I am not finished. You're both finished. It's in my yard now. I'll take this under advisement. I'll call you this afternoon when I reach my decision. We're adjourned. Yo, he, that judge has had just about enough of this shit. He has indeed. Uh, so that, Bernie. that is not even a, 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 a Hail Mary. I mean, she's right. She, she's, she's got two outs, right? She's got, they could potentially dismiss the case with prejudice, which I don't see happening. Or you get that second, that second trial, which the second trial is always under the, but I guess, even if Eleanor gets what she's asking for, that the first trial get thrown out. Well, the know, first trial already has been thrown out. I mean, but the record of which, because he could right. call him back yes. the testimony yes, and yes, hammer yes. his points home. So that's great. The problem is, is that they cannot expunge the potential jury pool from the fact that she's been convicted, right? So that pre that prejudicial information is all is just kind of going to exist. But you know, yeah. she, she's also our heroine, so. How but did it even with the rule thirty because violation, it can be dismissed with prejudice. Yeah, let's see. That's that's how you deal with the rule thirty. But if you know, even with that, if we can get to that to a some sort of a a new trial, and you can use that document, and you can yeah, and 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 it completely even changes plant, your plant the seed for jury nullification. That's that's your best play. Oh, for sure, and it you know it it may it you know it it might not fully reach i mean based on jorge's criteria i don't think that fully reaches the right to argue self-defense but it certainly like gives you some wiggle room to sort of mm -hmm. side do the self-defense which i think is what jamie was trying to argue with eleanor during her interview he wanted his day in court he told me he was urinating he never said it was an anti-smoking campaign what do i do what do you do 
You argue it. Argue it? Yes. He says he's a political activist. You have no proof he isn't. You argue it. You play the hand you're dealt, Jamie. Now get in there and close. Right. Right. Hey, I told you to dump it. What, are you stalking me? Kinda early, isn't it? It's after Back lunch. Bar. How'd I do? Well, I thought you did a good job. But so did Eleanor. If he expunges the first trial, you have to plea. I'll drive off that bridge when I come to it. It wasn't my paranoia, Helen. You heard her. She attacked me. She called me a liar. A... There was an attack. And the papers will print what she said, and my kids will have to read it. Again, it's legal strategy. This guy's up his own ass quite a bit, huh? He sure is, yeah. It's, but you know, we talk about people taking it personally. He's taking over, everything personally. You really need to take a long walk and ask yourself what you did to incur the attack. She's no Rebecca Cricket. Let's put it that Some way. Some of the stuff no. I've been doing. I'll take the walk with you. I don't think we need to waste any more of your time here. Three witnesses saw the defendant expose and grope his genitalia in a lewd and lascivious manner. Key. Their testimony stands uncontroverted, unblemished for that matter. Mr. Pender has twice before been arrested and convicted for this very obscene behavior. Key. To the police, he says he was urinating. Hey. Then on the stand, he suddenly claims that he was trying to dissuade these three women from smoking. Obviously, he doesn't take this seriously. I think we need to impress upon him that we do. She's gonna go rogue, Keith. What are you gonna do, Jamie? Free speech is something that we hold dear in the United States of America. Or she's gonna crush it. We don't punish somebody this for is exercising their First Amendment right she's simply Eugenie. because we don't like the way the message was delivered. Political protest in this country has often been shocking, provocative, even offensive. It's to get attention. Whether it's nudity or burning draft cards, the American flag, dissidents have historically Kids, chosen antagonistic Kids, if you're paying attention at to home, convey political beliefs John Cryer has just exposed his swordsman in court, During making the this the third dick we have seen in a courtroom. Two, three, four. Recycle. It's a dick. Your dick. <laughs> Again. I think two of them were big and one of them was normal. No, one Dicks. of them was ha half. <laughs> we want to see Cryer's dick today. <gasps> oh, your honor. <laughs> Bailiff, get that man's pants on. Ben. Get his pants on now. Dick. <laughs> Save the rainforest? It was written right across. So what happened? Well, the judge called a mistrial, then set the retrial for next July, then held him with no I bail. I remember when you, effectively, uh, when you did the same thing, Mike, but you could only write out save.
in big letters. I offered to plead out at six months. The DA <laughs> you, said you okay. saved it. That was good. Good decision. But the client won't sign off. What? He wants to appeal. Jamie, you make him sign off. You go back there right now, you get tough with him, and you make him sign off. Sign off. Now I go. Mention, not, you know. Boo. Nothing from the clerk's office? He's still in chambers. It's almost 3.30. Which means he's really considering. We have a chance. What's gonna happen, Mike? Phone's gonna ring. Eleanor? I'm proud of you. I thought you nailed it in there. Seriously. I mean, if they just took the whole dick storyline out, this is a I want like a to appeal. Episode. You need to appeal to a shrink. You ruined my first closing argument. I was trying for a mistrial, which I got. Yes, but you weren't counting on no bail, were you, Mr. Free Speech? Six months is the deal. He can't deny bail. I haven't been proven guilty. He can. He did. You want to write your congressman? Fine. But since you can't deliver the message personally, you might want to consider stationary. Take the six months and be done with it. It's a great shot right here, Lindsay and Bobby together. Jimmy comes in. He's coming in. Well, folks, Lindsay hasn't gotten her new trial yet. We haven't, the arc continues three episodes in. They've all been sort of out of court, out of trial situations and here's the latest what judges always fate? hate it when they're asked to consider the big picture it usually means that justice in the short run has to take a beating here the big picture is the integrity of the judicial process it's a truism that any system can only be as dignified as its players which means for criminal justice the truth is indeed ugly Defense attorneys long ago began slithering under the bar. Prosecutors soon followed. By now, we've come to expect it. But, Mr. Walsh, that doesn't mean we must always bring ourselves to accept it. The Supreme Judicial Court has found that you willfully violated Ms. Dole's Fifth Amendment rights, that you willfully violated her Sixth Amendment rights, and now we learn that you had an exculpatory report in your hand which you were duty-bound to reveal, and you squashed it. That other prosecutors might do this only further persuades me that the big picture needs adjusting. I find your misconduct to be deliberate, egregious, and outrageous. I am granting defense counsel's Rule 30 motion for post-conviction relief. I am dismissing the indictment with prejudice. The defendant is to be released immediately. Lindsay's out! We're adjourned. Jen, spoiler alert! <laughs> That's right, don't listen, Jen, don't listen! What happened? We failed! Succeeded! It's over. I want to go home. Is it a bad time to tell you that I've been banging some other Take Black Widow uh, that's been with Bobby <laughs> Jr. the whole time? Yeah, well, uh, sure, but so have I, in prison. Ew. Schmitchevich.
sir. It's a now. sad but all too familiar comment on our society where in Smith the end, in press money conference. talks. Money. Enron, Tyco, WorldCom. The corruption of greed. People use our courts today. The Lord is my shepherd. I, I won't walk in the shadow of the valley of money. I stand tall today. I'll sleep tonight. People can kill, murder, get off on a technicality, but God forbid the murderer's civil rights. The Lord will be my truth. If Lindsay Dole had been a black welfare prostitute from Roxbury, you think we'd be here? Uh, sweet land of liberty. Of He's the I sing. But justice didn't Ooh. sing today. Justice doesn't sing in these halls anymore. Justice has gone mute. Ooh. D.A. Walsh has lost his shit. Next hey, on practice. It makes the most oh, sense to He's simply. lost his Schmidt. Woo! Okay, guys. That was important. That was big. And was you want to know what else is big? It's going to be our after show show. So hop back on the YouTubes to see our grizzled mugs talking about it. We'll see you soon. And we are Bubba Back, baby! Bubba Back! Freedom! I gotta tell you, that's, that was actually very satisfying, Keith, because though I was lamenting a little bit there and there that I wanted to see the new trial, but we had kind of talked about it. We didn't really get the chance. We kind of used up all of what the second trial would have been, right? right so right. this was sort of our, our, our... It wasn't a day's mocking either. I mean, it was sort of, but it still felt fleshed out and, and satisfying to me. I feel sated but let's we talk all about freedom it. on a technicality because she totally murdered that dude. All right. Yeah. Huh? Uh, you know, we, we just did a little bit of tires. I did a little recap, but that's not what we do. That's not how we do it. We do it with this. Mm, two, three, four. Mike has 30 seconds to remember what just happened on the show. Segment. 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 Yo, DA is pissed, y'all. And he's pissed because guess what? He hid a little note away and Helen found it and was like, we got to be better, even though that's a little bit hypocritical. But regardless, they get their day in court. Eleanor is fired the fuck up. And she says this guy should be taking a task and uh, Lindsay should get out. And guess what? Lindsay gets out. And meanwhile, John Cryer shows his dick for no apparent reason. And uh, Stringer got a comedy case because that's what we're doing here. Yeah. That's exactly right. Now, could you do it again? You know, just faster? Uh, I suppose. All right. <laughs> Helen is a shark. Cryer says don't smoke with Dick. DAs up Schmidt's Creek. Wow.
Well done. Well done, sir. That uh, was a very good haikoopsie, as always. And uh, it's time to hand out some fresh and exciting awards in a segment we call... Ladies and gentlemen, the Out of Practice Podcast, in unofficial, unsolicited, unfactual association with David E. Kelly Productions, proudly present... Oopsie! Oopsies! Celebrating excellence in acting good, lawyering good, guesting good, and being Tom Brady. Not to mention, this is where we rate the episode and stuff. Now, here are your hosts, Keith and Mike! What the hell are the oopsies? Well, I'll tell you, Jackie. They're a fake award show that begin with some glorious singing in a segment we call... That's really, a, that's really, you really delicious. need to decant it. You really, it's so fine. <laughs> that's right. You, need you, to you gotta let it, it breathe. Gotta let it, you know. <laughs> well, guys, you know, mm. it was a team effort here. Uh, you know, you, you know, there's a world where you want to argue that Helen really gets it here because she was the, the sleuth that uncovered it. But she, 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 that's not in her capacity as a lawyer in any way. I think that, are you going to argue that it is? Okay, we'll, we'll hear it out. Okay. But I think that, Eugene and Eleanor. I think Eleanor deserves her retribution. She took it and gave an incredible, stern, and well-argued argument to presentation to the judge. And I think that I'm going to give it to Eleanor because it was in her official capacity litigating that uh, got her best friend. Well, no, I'm not going to say best friend. She got her colleague and dear friend out of prison. Yeah, and and I think that Eleanor uh, did do a great job, and it was her um, it was her redemption a little bit, redemptive arc there, and I thought that was really good. However, uh, she was handed a great case to argue, an easy case to argue because it was so black and white, because it was a Deus ex Helena that. Uh, I would argue that Helen did do this as her capacity. Not only as a lawyer, but as an officer of the court. Mm, okay, she, does, she did say as much to Schmitchevich. Yeah, like exposing an injustice in the court system, whether or not it's for your team or the other team, it is her duty and obligation as an officer of the court to expose this information. And she did so, uh, you know, kind of all backhandedly because it's Helen. That's how she rolls. But uh, I think she did the right thing. I think she... You know, whether or not justice was served in the small picture, as the uh, as our judge Bernie uh, brought up, she did help justice in the big picture. So my argument is for Helen. So congratulations, Eleanor and Helen. The famous Eleanor uh, has won its most valuable lawyer. Oopsie. Coming up next. Already famous because you've been on TV Getting a paycheck First entry on your IMDb Way to go But you're the best guest actor You are the best guest actor You are the best guest actor On the episode 
You know, some days that's the only exercise I get. I was just about to say that shouldn't wind me, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> listen to two forty-year-olds wheeze into the microphone for this segment. You know that actually, Keith. Sorry to 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 uh, what's the word? Digress. But um, you know, as I I, I at, we do fat shame quite a bit and whatnot, mm-hmm. but ourselves, mind you. But you know, I I do work out quite a bit. You do. Uh, my fit. My fitness level is relatively high. However, I did something the other week because I I didn't. Sh- I couldn't show you on camera. I I was doing the box jumps, box jumps on the curb, and I smashed my shin and like I I I, I oh, effed yes. it up pretty good. So I haven't been able to do those in a while, and so I was like, I got to replace this part of my workout. I need some high intensity interval training. So let me start light, and I did an exercise which I will not reveal just yet. And all I did was one minute on, sixty seconds rest. One minute on, sixty seconds rest times five. So. Five minutes of work, mm-hmm. five minutes of rest. The next day, I was your dick was so sore. I was destroyed. <laughs> I like I napped for three hours in the afternoon. I was just so tired. Do you know what that exercise was, Keith? Mm. Jump rope. Really? I jump roped for five minutes interspersed, and yeah. it was incredibly hard. So it was humbling, and I am never felt older. Yeah. Well, I get it. That's. Yeah, well, I mean, it's hard because you're because you're literally having to jump. Like you know, jumping is hard, <laughs> and there's a rope involved. <laughs> yeah, I mean, literally. So you know what else is hard? <laughs> Choosing between two actors this week, because I want to give a shout out to the actor who plays the judge who's been presiding over this case. Yeah, Frank Bernie. Frank has been. I call him Frank. We're friends. Yeah, has been so excellent in his. Just just about to lose his top on both sides of this case and uh, n- n- has not given, has never, never been really handed the oopsie. And this week, he is so delightful in his delivery, in his uh, admonishment of, of both sides, and then in his sort of uh, monologue at the end when he hands down his his defense of the judicial system his defense of the law of and and sort of uh smacks down schmitzovich it was really really wonderful and i'm very tempted to give him the oopsie here now the problem he has is that once again da schmitzovich walsh. is da walsh is actually put it where his best guest actor so schmitzovich who's still in his capacity as a guest actor mm-hmm is just wonderful. Um, he's helped out by the writing. The writing is really great for him because they don't, though I keep saying, you'll hear me during the episode, keep saying they just make him a flat out bad guy. They do because we want our hero to prevail. But he's well-reasoned for the most part. He's grounded in his intentions. You believe every second of his his anger and his desire to to get Lindsay and the fact that it's not just about her and it's not just about the law but there's a personal vendetta that he that is consuming him and I think that all of that could be a little schlocky could potentially be a little melodramatic if not handled with such care so for that reason I think for the second week in a row uh Schmitovich is going to win this award though I just couldn't let it go by without giving kudos to uh Frank actor your buddy Frank yeah. Yeah. No, I, I I agree with you on all of that. Um, you know, it's funny talking about uh, Frank, our buddy Frank, as the uh, judge here. 
Because now looking back on it, you have to think from the writer's room, how do you select which judge you should give this giant case to? Mm. And um, because we, you know, we've seen Frank many times, but he's not one of those judges we have a personal relationship um, with, uh, you know, whether whether it's uh, Kittleson or Hunt or whatever, um, or or even or even uh, you know one of the Renee's judge, um, where either we have a personal relationship with or we know this judge is this way or that way. You know, that leans in this direction because we know that that uh, that Renee's judge is like a liberal judge and he's sort of going to go off on a soapbox this way. Or Kittleson is is wackadoo um, or Hunt has a problem, you know, has a complicated relationship with Bobby. I think selecting Bernie as the judge means that we we don't have a personal relationship with him. We don't know which side he usually sides with. So he's just playing it straight down the line. So as a, from the writing perspective, we're not tipping our hand about where the case is going to go through the selection of which judge we're going to use. Um, you know, and that's, and that's an important skill too, because we want to, sometimes we want the flashy judge who's going to do all this crazy stuff, but sometimes we want to make it about the argument. So he sort of has to, bring integrity and credibility without tipping our hand um you know a, a perspective we just want to watch the arguments of the lawyers we don't want to make it about what the judge is going to do so uh anyway good work but yes it's definitely Smichevich. um i thought he did a terrific job um again he's he's you know, you know what's great about him is that he is rock solid every time and he's been given increasingly difficult things to do um and he nails it every time and this time like in his weird breakdown at the end which i thought the writing on the page might have been a little schlocky but uh he performed it well enough to get away with a little bit of schlockiness in the writing so congratulations to bill smichovich for your best guest actor you know what, to, to forgive yeah. the writing a little bit there, I think that they set it up well with one of his conversations with Helen at the bar because you could see that he takes being admonished in court, that embarrassment is very palpable for him. Yeah. And he takes his 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 response as anger because even just her bringing the appeal that, you know, the things she said in the appeals court, he, he mentioned how angry that made him. So to get that sort of rebuke from- No, no, for sure. Lose, I mean, the, so it, the trigger- was yeah. definitely set up and justified. And, you know, we we showed him drinking twice and brought it up. So I certainly feel like that might have been a factor. They could have set that up a little earlier. But um, anyway, it's good stuff. We need to move on and talk about our... You killed your podiatrist or blew the case But you let a single tear run down your face You're the best actor on the show it's one of those weeks guys there's no no one's jumping off the page to me uh kelly williams barely says anything excellent even her first scene of the show excellent dylan mcdermott excellent somber all the way through uh eugene so good guess what Marla Sokloff, here for it. She's got a couple of scenes this week. Welcome to the show. Rebecca, that one time they showed your face. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
wonderful actress who plays Jamie Stringer. Man, you took that shovel of shit and shoveled it. You sure did. Um, but I think for me, you know, we often talk about Cameron having to play a wide range of things, and that's why, she, and she's so great at it. She, but sometimes, to be a great actress doesn't mean you have to do that, right? Sometimes you have a very singular mission, and this episode, she got it, right? And uh, she sort of, she didn't do anything flashy, she didn't do anything special, but just the power and the presence that she brought, I think, is 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 speaking to me. That that just that last scene, or that last, I guess, sequence uh, presenting the appeal case to the judge, the Rule Thirty case, uh, uh, just had so much just had so much weight. Um, I, no, I don't even see any superpowers from it. I just it just it's what stuck with me. It's the performance that stuck with me, and so I'm I'm gonna give it to Cameron. Yeah, I mean, Cameron is never a bad option. Um, I think it's Lara Flynn's episode, frankly. Um, I think she she is the she's you know she's the linchpin on which all of the episode revolves, and I think she is, um, you know, watching her decision making process uh, of seeing where Walsh was going, and I think it really wasn't written in the text, but there had to have been in the subtext of their first scene together. Helen, something prompted Helen to start researching, right? And the sort of like, wow, he's pretty far off the rails. I wonder if there's something else going on here that's worth looking into. Uh, because why didn't she do it during the first trial? You know, why Why wasn't, you know, throughout, we, months have gone by. What prompted her to finally decide, eh, let's dig around here, see what we can find. Um so, uh, you know, I don't think that was necessarily written in there, but, uh, but I thought that, that, uh, Lara Flynn justified it. So congratulations on another split oopsie too. Yeah. You know, oh, 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 hold on, hold on. No, 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 no. Just to, to continue that, uh, acclaim, Helen is one of those characters that, as we've noted, isn't always, uh, her arc isn't always, um, smooth. It's more of a, yeah erratic plotline uh she yep. and yet just like some of the other characters we've mentioned she's always able to find a trajectory that seems seems grounded somewhere uh and they've they've really written her all over the place and so all of a sudden her finding like a you know behaving uh altruistically yet still finding that nugget of you know I need to look in the mirror uh, she's she's great. She she's great is what we're saying. Yeah. All right. Well, you want to know who's not great? It's our good friend, the Tom Brady Award for being Tom Brady. What well, do we Keith, got this week? I've been thinking about it. Mm. I was thinking about if I was going to make you do this. Oh, great. Um, uh, but I have to. Uh, this week's Tom Brady Award. For being Tom Brady is oh, presented no. to dropping his pants in court, Tom Brady. Oh, great. <laughs> Sometimes you gotta just calls it like you sees it. Yeah, I go straight down the zipper. Okay. Uh oh, great. Thanks for that. Now it's time for Ladies and gentlemen, it is time to announce how many spare tires this episode gets. Take it away, Mike. 
Well, I often lament that mm. we have to sort of look at these episodes in a vacuum because I'm upset about them for whatever reason in context. To this week, I'm happy about it because uh, divorced from all of the sort of back and forth with the Lindsay arc we've had, she we don't like the way they argued it. She's in federal prison, which is kind of bizarre. Uh, now there's an appeal and she loses the appeal and the, or she wins the appeal, but then we got to do a whole nother trial, but we don't have a defense thing. We got to answer the questions. How are we going to get out of this? Divorced from all of that. Just uh, our character is in this position. This is what happens over the, you know, this is very effective for me. Um, also, it works as a kind of a twisty twist because I just really did believe that we were going to have to go through another trial, that we were building for like a whole arc where we're going to do this thing. In reality, I think they found a really smart, yes, if not deus machina based out, if you will. Yeah. Which we kind of have, you and I have sort of uh, sleuthed over the past few weeks that it's really our best way out is that we're going to need Smichovich to have done something shitty, right? Or D.A. Walsh right. to have done something shitty. Egregiously shitty. Maybe not as egregiously as I, as I uh, postulated, but regardless however it was excellently pretty pretty excellently written and in incredibly well performed across the board um it was believable it was and and they didn't just have helen do it all sneaky sneak she had consequences she dealt with them head on which creates potential plots going forward uh it, it sets the table very nicely they actually put themselves in a really good position they get Lindsay back i don't know what that what that means or what that will look like but hey that's a question I have, and I'm interested. And we have a whole season to go. It's it's a neat way to to finish this early in the season, yet you know there will be fallout. It didn't feel like that one uh, Eleanor plot from last season where they, they kind of just wrote it off and it was done, right? right? So I dug it, uh, and I got that moment where I'm like, fuck this guy, I want to beat him. And then I got a celebratory moment at the end, uh, and I got a dun-dun-dun, what's going to happen? I got everything that makes me very happy. The only thing, Keith, Mm. that I also got was a hefty do dose of penis. And uh, I am not a prude individual. I love a dick joke the much as the next person. But a dick joke for the sake of a dick joke doesn't really make a lot of sense. Now, I get it. We want to give Jamie something to do. Uh, and we sh we're trying to show that, you know what, I'm even going to make the old college try. I'm going to try to make uh, lemonade out of lemons here because that's who I am. But we've done that before with other characters. We did that with Jimmy when Jimmy jumped on. Like we've, 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 the recycle bit feels recycled. Not only is it recycled, it's not funny. It's not funny, right? Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't funny the first time we did it. It's not funny this time. It wasn't, it was kind of funny when, or at least shocking when Kittleson first mentioned the erection stuff. And then it was less funny when she did it in the courtroom, but okay, it was still Kittle since it was badass. But by now, it's like, you you have to be like, what what's happening? Like, why? And if it's not going to add anything, just take it out. The episodes are short, and this is like the biggest dramatic plot we've had of the whole series. Why do we need to counterpoint it with anything? We don't. I don't give a shit. I don't care if it's John Cryer. And he's a, he's totally wasted in this episode. I think just totally yeah. wasted. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Jamie Stringer's totally wasted. I just, I just, it really is a black eye on it for me, to be honest. I know it's not that egregious, but it feels that way because it's, it's juxtaposed with the biggest thing we've done. Um, and I'm also pissed, sorry, vacuum, but this was Rebecca's baby, right? We built mm. this huge thing up for Rebecca, and I guess she did get the, she did get us to this point, but come on. You know what I mean? I guess we had to give Eleanor the, the final swing because she's the one who, I don't know. I just feel, I feel really disappointed for Rebecca um, as a character and for Elisa Gay, who I thought was going to get a shot to really chew the scenery here, but maybe it's coming in another episode. Uh, so those are my two rather big nits to pick. Mm-hmm. <sighs> but I've been skewing high lately, although you gave it higher last week. I, I do still think it's really great, so I'm gonna I'm gonna just like it. It really feels like an eight point five divorced of of the Criers plotline. Mm-hmm. But I gotta take off a half a half a tire, so I'm gonna say eight stars tires, eight whatevers, eight dicks, uh, eight dicks eight partially dicks. up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, um. Yeah, I I agree with all of that. I mean, I think the with the Deus Ex Helena of the whole thing, um, I, I I think they were sort of where we were. There there isn't enough there to do another trial, um, so they needed to have something like this, and they didn't set this one up specifically, um, which it would have been great had they been able to like thread the needle a little bit here and set this particular thing up. But even though they didn't, they did set up through Smitchevich's character, through Walsh, that something like this is very believable that could have happened. It is completely believable that he would have done this based on the characterization going in. So that I, you know, I, I think that helps it a lot. Um, I like that. You know, I think one of the things that wasn't quite addressed, but I think would have been interesting to get into is, all right, so what happened here is Lindsay gets off because of Smitchevich's mishandling of this report. Um, because he's like, I don't agree with it. It's wrong. We've got these other guys saying the opposite. But we know as an audience, because we saw what happened, that that report was wrong. He wasn't moving towards Lindsay in that moment. And that's kind of interesting that she got off because he buried a report that was an exculpatory report that was wrong because we were eyewitnesses to the event. Uh, I don't know what exactly what you do with it, but it's interesting that's clever. that it happens to work that way. Well, it makes it more about his hubris than Lindsay's guilt. Right, because, we, because I think by this point, we've kind of established Lindsay's by the letter of the law, guilty. Um, and so, which also makes sense as to why she would agree to pleading uh, at the beginning of the episode. Uh, so anyway, I like that Helen had a, a moment of conscience and, and does intervene here. I would have liked some sort of a transition scene because, you know, because I talked about it uh, in, in, in Best Actor, how we had to see Helen make the decision a to intervene and b that there's something to smell a rat here and i would have liked to see that decision point 
happen because we didn't really it was it wasn't written into the script that Helen recognizing ooh I bet there's something here we just see her investigated I don't know exactly how you show that but as a writer I'd want that beat I would like to see a moment of you know as a director maybe while in that scene with Smidjevich at the bar maybe you know give her a single where she's like huh something's going on that it it, it can be all nonverbal, but set up going to it yes mike along those lines the other thing i, I didn't mention this I, I would agree if we're going to add that scene because i like it i also would flip the scene where where d.a walsh comes and says i know it was you at tu brute i'd rather helen had gone to him and been mm-hmm. like it was me because yeah. i think Otherwise, because it happened so quick, like there was no suspense in the who was it. You know what I mean? You might as well right. have her be like, I did this. Yeah. No. And I, although I don't think she was particularly hiding it, but, but yes, I think that, I think it would have been interesting had Helen done that. Um, so I, all of that, honestly, I think they landed that better than I expected them to. Um, you know, based on the hand, I was going to say, Based on the hand they were dealt. No, based on the hand they dealt themselves, they they played it pretty well. Um, you know, to get to the the, the dick of it all, um, I, I did a, a quick bit of mental uh, research and see if there's any other reference that I'm forgetting here. But at this point, uh, the following people we have discussed exposing their dicks, right? We did it to Richard Schiff. As the homeless guy who, you know, he called it like his one-eyed willy or something like that. He had had to show them to the people, right? Kittleson's uh, shaming the guy who exposed himself to whatever, made him drop his pants in the courtroom. That's two. Harlan Bassett tried to get his, uh, his client off by showing his giant dick to Judge Hiller, right? We just... Two episodes ago, we had the pud guy talking about showing his pud and touching his pud and blah, 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 blah. And then this one, this show is so dick obsessed. It's ridiculous. Ridiculous. You ridiculous. It is, yes, it is, it's ridiculous more than is necessary. So I don't quite understand what the obsession is here. It feels like a... Uh, we need a comic beat. Let's just do a dick story. It, it's kind of lazy. And uh, I would have liked them to <laughs> elevate the target a little bit above the waist at some point uh, if you're going to do a I, we, comic beat. Now, story. we usually do a bit about the writer's room, but I'm in I'm in all sincerity. Like, you know, in a writer's room, they're, they bounce ideas off one another. Yeah. Somebody has to be the voice of us being like, guys, don't you feel like we did this before? And like, isn't this a lot of dick? Like, or, or maybe you're right. Maybe it's just like a lot of college dudes who were like, dick. Dick. Yeah, yeah it, it feels it, it feels like a writer's room that they re, that they just hired a complete new set every year and didn't make them, didn't hand them the DVD box set on their way in. Mm. They're like, oh, a dick story. Hilarious. Even though like David E. Kelly wrote most of these things. So uh, David, I think you need to talk to uh, talk to Freud a little bit and figure out why so many dicks in your show. Uh, anyway, we're not here to talk about dicks. We're here to talk about tires. And uh, all, all dicking aside, I actually also really liked this episode. Um, I, I thought they, like I said, I thought they landed it better than they had any right to. 
with this. I like setting up um, wh what's go what's happening with Samichevich here. Are we going to see him uh, descend into madness a little bit? Which is an interesting story. We haven't done that one yet, so I'm on board. Um, I, I hope you continue it. I hope that's not the last we see of that uh, of that arc. Uh, so, all in all, I think I'm I think I'm pretty much in line with you on this. So I'm gonna give it uh, just to be contrary. I'm gonna give it an 8.07. All right, there you go. So that's like eight plus. That's pretty yeah. good. Yeah, it's just uh, uh, oh god. Oh, now we're exploding. I just I deserved it. Um, you, you did deserve it. Okay, well, there's only uh, one last thing to do. Why don't we deal with that Easter egg, sir? Is that Superman 4? Hell yeah, it's Superman 4. Yeah, it is. Something's Which, playing right now. I'm some shitty CGI, and some, CGI is not it. It's no, it's, some it's not Some shitty a, practical effect is playing the, the, on your screen right now. This is when uh, Nuclear Man <laughs> gets French tips to take off. Four is, take four on. is the one with Richard Pryor, right? No, that's three. How you're the Superman fan? How do you not yeah. know this? Because after two, we don't really talk about it. Um, well, but this is the one where it. Re this is where it wasn't canon. It was, uh, or was it canon? Took over and did the crazy low budget disaster. Yeah, they that buzz. is. Um, this, oh yeah, nuclear. Yes, it's nuclear all man. Back. It's yeah, all yeah, coming yeah. back to me now. I I think for not knowing that, Mike has an assignment before next episode. A, you're gonna have to watch Superman four, and we're gonna need a uh, a book report on Superman okay. four. That is your punishment, so that you can see John Cryer's amazing performance in Superman four. Uh, all right, folks, if you are still listening, you are super people because you have gotten through another episode of the Out of Practice podcast. We will see you next week for season seven, episode four. If you would like to write and complain or give us your book reports on Superman 4, you can reach us at outofpracticepodcast at gmail.com on the YouTube comments right below. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Out of Practice Podcast. While you're there, leave us a rating and review. Nobody has done it since season two. Do it just to surprise us. Give me something to be shocked by. Leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or any other podcasting service of your choice. You can join the jury. And while you're there, live, give us a chance to thank our founding sponsors, MVP of this episode, Jorge Noboa, Cloudlover69, Leanne Wrights, Jennifer Massanova, and Kari Kuhn. Did you know that people give us money? That's right. Those yeah. founding sponsors gave us money, one-time contribution, or a sustaining membership. You can do one of those two things by clicking the links that I put every week in our show notes. Folks, you can also help us out by simply telling somebody you know to watch the podcast mm. or have them check out Look at My Star Trek Toys here on YouTube. At the end of the day, all you need is a good buddy to fax you over some exculpatory evidence then we can get a whole new trial and fire off some brand new laser sounds. You want to know gets, what gets a mole off of a shark? A laser sound. Boom. Much better. Well done. <laughs>